The views and opinions expressed in this podcast are simply that, opinions. All are presumed innocent until proven otherwise in a court of law. Sensitive topics are discussed. Discretion is advised. Hi, I'm Vinny Politan, and welcome to the Court TV Podcast. This week's episode features an audio edition of our original series, Judgment with Ashley Banfield, where we'll take a closer look at a case that played out on national television on two separate occasions. Scott Amendor thought the Jenny Jones show would be the perfect place to reveal to his friend, Jonathan Schmitz, that he had a crush on him. Three days later, Schmitz shot Amendor twice with a shotgun at his doorstep. Was it mental illness or homophobia that led to Schmitz killing his friend? This is Judgment of Jonathan Schmitz. This is the Court TV Podcast. Oh my God. Oh, Scott. March 6th, 1995, three friends made their way to a TV studio for a taping of The Jenny Jones Show, an episode called Secret Crushes. Scott Amador and Donna Riley planned to drop a bombshell on their pal Jonathan Schmitz. And in front of a live studio audience, Scott told Jonathan he had a gay crush on him. The show went off without a hitch, but three days later, everything went sideways. That's when Jonathan loaded a 12-gauge shotgun and set off for Scott's home. And when Scott answered the door, Jonathan shot him twice in cold blood. What set him off on that murderous rage? Was it mental illness and a drug problem? Or was this a case of lethal homophobia? According to his family, friends, and neighbors, 32-year-old Scott Amador was considered by all to be helpful and friendly. He died of a single shotgun blast to the chest at 11.01 this morning. Scott Amador was an openly gay individual who made no bones about it. Scott was someone who was trying to get by like the rest of us. Had a job, had a career, had friends, and uh, allegedly really liked the Jenny Jones show in particular. So you had Jenny Jones, you had Jerry Springer, you had Geraldo. They wanted drama, they wanted energy, they wanted confrontation. That's what got them ratings. In the spring of 1995, Scott had recently met Jonathan Schmitz through his good friend Donna Riley. They were watching these shows and there was a prompt from the Jenny Jones show that they were going to do a show on secret crushes. If you have a, fa- uh, a secret crush on someone of the same sex and want to do it here on the show and reveal your crush, call us at the show. Scott Amator, who is gay, had a crush on Jonathan Schmitz and he'd called the Jenny Jones show 
the show calls Jonathan and they say, hey, someone has a crush on you. Would you be interested in coming on this show? And from what I understand, Jonathan was told that the crush could be a man or it could be a woman. It was about six months after he and his longtime girlfriend had broken up. So he goes to the show thinking she, who was going to be the secret admirer. Now, which of these ways would you choose to reveal your secret crush on someone? A, would you write that person a letter? B, would you tell the person in private in case he rejects you? Or C, would you tell that person that you're gay and you hope he is on national television? <laughs> He arrives on the show and walks out on set, and it's his friend Donna Riley, and he's still not really sure, I think, what's going on, but sees Scott, and then it's clear they confess that the crush is Scott Amador. Did you think Donna had the crush on you? Did I? No, we're good friends. Well, guess we're... what? It's Scott that has the crush on you. You lied to me. <laughs> when he walked on stage and saw Scott sitting there, he didn't seem overly distraught about it. Well, you know, it's flattering, but... It's flattering, but you're not interested? No, There's no I mean, way. There's no way, right? No, but I am uh, definitely a heterosexual, I guess you could say. Scott expressed his affection to Jonathan Schmitz, but Jonathan Schmitz was a time bomb. Three days after the program, Jonathan drove to Scott's house, walked up to the house, confirmed Scott was home, went back to his car, grabbed a 12-gauge shotgun, went right up to the house, and shot Scott twice in the chest. Jonathan Schmitz killed Scott Amador because he was humiliated and he thought he was going to be made a laughingstock on national television. We all have embarrassing situations or things that we wish in life would not have happened. It doesn't give you the license to go and make a conscious decision to take a human life. It's one thing to blow somebody off. It's another thing to blow them away. Homophobia is absolutely the theme throughout a lot of this because Jonathan Schmitz could not handle the fact that the public might think that he was gay. With that, are we ready for your opening statement, please? I am here. Okay, see? The prosecution's gonna prove basically two things during the course of this trial. Number one, that this defendant, Jonathan Schmitz, committed first-degree premeditated murder. And number two, ladies and gentlemen, that there was nothing wrong with Jonathan Schmitz on March 9th, 1995. There was no mental illness affecting his action. There was no physical illness affecting his action on that particular day. You cannot kill another human being for words spoken by that human being. Embarrassment is not an excuse for murder. Thank you. Ladies and gentlemen, there was no murder here. There was a shooting, but there was no murder. The evidence is going to show that Jonathan Schmitz came into this world possessed of a disease. 
depression, developed alcoholism. See, the prosecution will be unable to prove what he'd like to prove in this case, the premeditation, the deliberation. It's not there because John did not have that ability, and you're going to hear that testimony. He did not have the ability to think, reason, or plan. I think the, the statement that the defense attorney made that this is not a murder, this is a shooting, number one, it defies common sense. No, this was a deliberate conscious act to take a human life, and that's murder. The whole uh, defense, from what I can see, is uh, theory, primarily theory. Uh, and so to keep uh, focusing on fact, it seems like the prosecution uh, is the only one with real facts, real hard facts. Did you ever think something bad would happen? Never. Up to that point, he had no problem being friendly with Scott. All he could think of at that time was his grandparents. They would think, you must be gay if this gay guy is, is trying to hit on you. The tragic events of March 9th, 1995, began with a simple phone call to the Jenny Jones Show. It seemed innocent enough, but Scott Amador ended up dead shot twice by his friend, Jonathan Schmitz. On the stand, their pal Donna Riley took the courtroom back to that fateful day, the taping of the Secret Crush episode, with Jenny Jones and TV cameras and a live studio audience all watching. Who contacted you? How did you find out about the show through Scott did he call you or did he come over he called me at work and what did he say he said he called me and he said Donna we're in really big trouble and he started laughing and I was like what and he said he had been watching the Jenny Jones show and they had a segment on there about same-sex secret crushes and he said he called the number he said, not even thinking that he'd ever get a return call, he said, and they called me back. Scott said he wanted me to go with him. He said, we'd just have a good time in Chicago, and we'd do the taping and come home. Jonathan was intrigued when he was approached by the Jenny Jones show. However, he had some suspicions that possibly Donna and Scott were involved in this, but they told him, no, it isn't us, because they were trying to keep the surprise intact. Um, so they did give a little white lie to him. Did you ever think something bad would happen if you went on this type of show? Never. We didn't think it'd be a problem because up to that point, he had no problem joking around and being friendly with Scott. When the Jenny Jones show was taped, it never aired. It was such a huge case because of how it came about. This was an ambush on a national talk show. Scott. Now, Donna has been helping Scott pursue his secret crush on John. How, how bad's the crush? Tell me about the first time you met him. Where, where, where was he? Uh, basically, well, he was under a car, working on her brake line. Yeah. And that was your first time? What was your first impression? Um, well, I only saw the lower half of him, so you can imagine. Now, John, he, he knows you're gay, right? Yes. Yeah. Do, do you know that he is? No. Anything's possible. <laughs> you hope, you hope. Do you have any reason to think he is, Donna? I mean, um, not really. He, um, he said that his family kind of questioned him on it. Um, he's a very open person, so it really wouldn't surprise me. Let's have John come out here oh, and right see now. who has the crush on him. Here's John. 
the crush on you? Did I? No, we're good friends. Well, guess we're... what? It's Scott that has the crush on you. You lied to me. <laughs> In that moment, you can see that Jonathan is sort of surprised and sort of like has this look on his face like, oh, no, this isn't what I was hoping for. But he's not angry. He's not shocked. He doesn't throw a chair. He doesn't do anything at all to make you feel like this is a horrible thing. Take a look at it. We'll show a little playback of what uh, Scott said about you, uh, John. Take a look at that oh, monitor right here. down there. I got a pretty big hammock in my yard, and I just, yeah, I thought about it. Tying him up to my hammock. Um, and? Well, it entails, like, whipped cream and champagne, stuff like that. Did you have any idea that he liked you this much? Um, no, 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 I did not. <laughs> Can you tell us not. what your status is? I mean, are you involved with anybody or? Um, no, but I am uh, definitely a heterosexual, I guess you could say. <laughs> very angry. And he kept that, that smile on his face because that's what he was like. He's not going to show that he's mad. He doesn't get angry at people. He doesn't fight people. And all he could think of at that time was his grandparents. They would think, you must be gay if this gay guy is, is trying to hit on you. From what you saw, uh, as far as John's reaction, was he visibly angry at that point? No. He made a statement to the effect of when questioned by Jenny Jones of how this is going to affect his relationship with us or with Scott. And he said that we he could remain friends. After the taping of the show, um, Jonathan told Donna and Scott that he would drive them home from the airport back here in the Detroit area if they changed their flights to get onto his flight, which they were able to do. They had partied on the, on the plane and while en route back to Detroit. Uh, at that point, they drove from uh, Detroit to the Chateau Orion trailer park in Orion Township where uh, the victim, Scott Amador, lived. They went... Uh, to Scott's trailer, uh, went in briefly. At that point, they left and went to a bar called Brewski's. Then they stop at a bar and have some drinks. And that's where there's some stories about what happens after these drinks. The media has fixated on the surprise of the show. They leave out these critical, critical details that after the show, there might have been an intimate encounter between Jonathan and Scott. And if you're struggling with your own issues and then this thing is all of a sudden surfacing in you, this absolutely has to be part of the story. This encounter might have driven Jonathan to make sure he exterminated this gay man who had this crush on him. The truth is that John was humiliated when he was ambushed. He was horrified when he was ambushed, which ignited one of those cycles of violence. When the Jenny Jones taping wrapped, Jonathan Schmitz partied late into the night with his friends Scott Amador and Donna Riley. For the next two days, Jonathan worked long shifts at the Fox and Hound restaurant. His co-worker, Michelle Wright, testified that he seemed angry about what had happened three days earlier on the show. And when Jonathan got home from work, only to discover a note and a little present from Scott Amador, he simply snapped. Can you tell you what happened when he came to his apartment? Yes. He exited his vehicle, uh, started uh, walking towards his apartment door, approaching it. He noticed a uh, orange construction barrier light. He, he found a note uh, 
as well with uh, the light. Uh, he indicated that he was became very angry. And he was angry in the sense that Scott wouldn't leave him alone. He kept leaving these idiotic notes. If you want to do something, I have the right tool. And it was like prodding him, and he kept doing it. Did he say anything else about his feelings, or was it just that I became angry? He just indicated that he became angry, and uh, at that point, he indicated yeah, he, he just made a decision to kill Amador. After finding the, uh, the blinking light in the note, Jonathan went to the bank. He next went to Tom's hardware store. Uh, he bought a double-op buck shot for a shotgun. Uh, he then went to yet another place. He purchased the shotgun. Uh, about a block or so from Scott's residence, he assembled the shotgun. He certainly had a lot of time to think about what he was doing. What happened when the defendant came into the trailer? Scott was in the bathroom at that point, and when Scott came out and greeted him, they both walked down the hallway, and I continued reading my newspaper. And what did you notice next? Uh, he, the defendant came out and said, uh, he had to shut off his car because he had left it running and and left, went outside. There was another knock. Scott went to the door the second time. Can you tell me what happened after the knock and after Scott went to the door? Scott opened the door and, I mean, he, he stood back from the door and picked up a chair that was near the door and said, Gary, help, he's got a gun. And at that point, the gun went off. There was a shot. And uh, I, I remember seeing Scott standing in the kitchen, grasping his chest and falling to the floor. And then there was another shot. was smart enough to realize, you know, we can't say he didn't do it. We have a confession. The only way he could get away with two or five or 10 years instead of life in prison was to create a defense strategy that blamed everyone but him. Q, James Burdick, and the entire defense team. We're talking about a person who has reacted very emotionally to a very traumatic event. He happens to have had bipolar or unipolar depressive disorder that was coupled with this Graves disease, and he probably reacted in a way that presumably you and I may not have reacted, but still it's an understandable reaction as all of the, all the psychiatric and medical testimony will, will support. What diagnoses did you come up with as a consequence of these evaluations and observations? He had what is called a major affective disorder, depression reoccurring. Are the... Um, attributes of a major affective disorder such as John is afflicted with, do they have an impact on an, a person's ability to control or loss of control? Yes, sir. The individual can lose control as a result of being afflicted by major affective disorder. He had run out of funds to pay, to pay for medication or for talk therapy. When he shot him, 
I am absolutely convinced that he did it because he was so freaked out, combined with his bipolar, raging bipolar disorder, um, treatment-free. On April 2nd, 1994, uh, the defendant indicated to you that he was doing good. Is that correct? He said that he was doing real good, getting my life back together. This is his statement. He was positive. He, he was hopeful. Uh, I think I'm fine now, uh, almost uh, I don't take any more clonopin, he said. Uh, the symptoms, I did not find any major symptoms of depression. I really don't um, buy into the theory um, that Jonathan was mentally ill and this pushed him over the edge. Did he have some issues? Sure. I think he was conflicted about his sexuality. Um, I think he engaged in some binge drinking. But I don't think there was anything of a, a, a magnitude uh, that you can say he was severely mentally ill. You know, he had issues like everybody else does, but certainly nothing that justifies the behavior that, you know, and the actions that he later took. The truth is that John was humiliated when he was ambushed, he was horrified when he was ambushed, and he was completely out of control as a consequence of this ambush, which, ig which ignited one of those uh, cycles of depression, agitation, and violence. Members of the jury, have you reached your verdict? Our verdict as to the charge of first-degree premeditated murder is... The defense was hell-bent on showing the jury that Jonathan Schmitz was not fully responsible for his actions and that he himself was a victim of the Jenny Jones show. It seemed that Jonathan's lawyers would stop at nothing, even going after the dead man, Scott Amador, and arguing that Scott was really to blame for his own death. Were you aware of uh, any reputation which Mr. Amador had in the community. He was known for fighting and when he's drunk and was on drugs, he was just abusive. Did you end up in the hospital on certain occasions? Yes, I did, sir. When was that? It was a couple times. Once was both were when he beat me up. I was in it for two days at one time. We called it at the time the smorgasbord defense, right? We're going to try everything and see what works. They argued that if you're mentally ill, you're just going to kill someone, right? Or the show is to blame, or this aggressive gay guy was to blame. They tried everything. The next time you heard from John was that night, Monday night, during this ice storm? Yes. And I said, oh, well, what, what happened with the show? I said, you know, who was the uh, admirer? And he didn't answer. And he started to weep. And he said, uh, Dad, uh, that thing didn't work out very well in Chicago for me. He said it was a guy. And I was very angry. Jonathan clearly was raised in a household that did not think that homosexuality was okay, acceptable, or masculine. And from his own testimony on the stand, Jonathan's father uh, was not excited at all about any rumors that his son might be gay and needed to extinguish that rumor immediately. You provided a tape summarizing your thoughts on this particular case, is that correct? Yes. I want to ask you a question, Mr. Schmitz, about one particular statement you made in that tape, and it's the following. Fathers thought the reason that he had to kill Scott Amateur is to prove that he was not homosexual. Remember saying that on the tape? I remember it was speculative thought. 
He was embarrassed in the, in the sense that if his grandparents, for their own twisted, terribly anti-gay mentality, would think, well, he must be gay uh, if some gay person's hitting on him. Young kid, gonna get humiliated. When you had conversations with your son, did he express any statements to you about people thinking he was gay? Are people gonna think that he was gay if they saw the show? Yes, he said, right. now, Gramp and Graham and everybody's gonna think I'm gay. And your son was concerned about that, is that right? Yes. I mean, how would you feel if your father thought that maybe you were homosexual? I think Alan Schmitz, Jonathan Schmitz's father, did play a role in amping up Jonathan's anxiety and homophobia. Absolutely. What happened on the Jenny Jones show might not have been nice. And as you know, Jenny Jones is going to have to answer for that in a separate case in this courthouse. But keep this in mind. No matter what the Jenny Jones show did, what the defendant did was 100 times worse. A person cannot kill another person for words that that person spoke. A person cannot kill another person because of embarrassment or humiliation. That is not an excuse to murder. The defense, once again, they tried to divert the focus to Scott um, as bearing some responsibility for the situation. The prosecutor suggests to you that John was embarrassed, yes, humiliated, yes, from the Jenny Jones show, finding of the note, went out, they killed Scott. But that's not what the evidence shows. I mean, is there some question in anybody's mind that John Schmitz was suffering from mental illness on March 9, 1995? Prosecution suggests that we're trying to blame Scott Amador for his own death. Nothing could be further from the truth. Members of the jury, have you reached your verdict? If so, let your foreperson please rise. Our verdict um, as to the charge of first-degree premeditated murder is guilty of the lesser offense of second-degree murder. Second count possession of a firearm during the commission of a first-degree premeditated murder, also guilty. I felt that the verdict was a win in the sense that there's only one sentence for first-degree murder in, in, in Michigan, and that is life without parole. In my opinion, the judge flipped out at the sentencing, and he, he should never have sentenced him as much time as he did. I've considered everything that has been said by everybody. I have considered the law. I feel it appropriate, though difficult for me to do, that your sentence be a minimum of 25 years in state prison, maximum not more than 50 years. I don't know how uh, James Burdick or that defense team sleeps at night knowing that they were actively working to let this killer out earlier, knowing that this was the clearest case of first-degree murder. Do you think this lays any of the responsibility at the doorstep of the Jenny Jones talk show? Of course. None of this would have happened if it wasn't for Jenny Jones exploiting homosexuality, a sensitive issue, uh, and then exploiting these persons that had difficulties with the tolerance of uh, homosexuality, such as Jonathan Smith's. Frank, will you move ahead with your lawsuit against the Jenny Jones show? Certainly. Don't forget, the Amador family is suing her for $25 million, and they're blaming her. They're saying, uh, Scott Amador's mother has said it over and over again. Jenny Jones put the gun in John's hand, and she pushed him over the edge. 
not knowing what would happen to him. You used him as a source of entertainment, having no idea what his emotions would be for other people, didn't you? No, that's not the way I see it. I don't use people on the show. Scott Amadour's family wanted answers, and they wanted justice. So they filed a wrongful death and negligence suit against the company that owned The Jenny Jones Show, Warner Brothers. They claimed the show was ultimately responsible for Scott's death. And in March of 1999, they came to court with a hammer. Jeffrey Figer, the superstar lawyer who represented Dr. Jack Kevorkian. You understand that you won't have a show unless there is somebody who gets humiliated or embarrassed, don't you? Yes or no? Absolutely not. And you also understand that the reason that you asked Scott Amador to tell a sexual fantasy and the reason that you played it in front of John was you wanted a reaction, didn't you? Jeff Figer was a showman. He knew how to play this case. He wanted to put Jenny Jones and Warner Brothers Television on the stand for pulling the trigger. You didn't know what his emotions would be. You didn't know if he'd be happy, right? Right? Right. Or you didn't know if he'd be sad, did you? No, that's why I asked him. This case was very simple. It was to demonstrate to the jury that Warner Brothers are selling, in this case, humiliation, embarrassment as entertainment and taking no responsibility for anything that occurs afterwards. You didn't know if he would be hurt inside, did you? No. So you used him, not knowing what would happen to him. You used him as a source of entertainment, having no idea what his emotions would be for other people, didn't you? No, that's not the way I see it. Well, I don't use people on the show. One of their defenses in the case was that Jonathan Schmitz laughed and smiled. So I knew that was their defense because they, they kept playing Jonathan Schmitz laughing. I said, what better way to show everyone how ridiculous that defense is? So I knew at some point I'd be able to say to her, well, you're smiling now. Do you know that you're smiling? I you're believe I'm smiling, yes. So are you. You're not nervous, though, are you? I'm not comfortable. Right, and you smile when you're not comfortable, don't you? Sometimes. That's what Jonathan Schmitz did, isn't it? Not necessarily. How do you know? Since you smile when you're nervous, mm -hmm. do you believe that you have the ability to look into Jonathan Schmitz's mind and know that when he's smiling, when he comes on your show, he's not nervous? I assume that all of our guests excuse, are nervous. Excuse me. Answer my question. I didn't ask you whether you assumed all your guests were nervous or not. I'm saying, do you have the ability to look into Jonathan Schmitz's mind? Listen to my question, please, and answer the question that I'm asking, not the one you want to answer, okay? Do you believe you have the ability to look into Jonathan Schmitz's mind and tell whether or not he's nervous? Yes or no? No, I can't. Do you have the ability to look into Jonathan Schmidt's mind and see whether or not he is embarrassed? Yes or no? No. Do you have the ability to look into Jonathan Schmidt's mind and see whether or not he was humiliated? 
I don't think he was humiliated. Excuse me, did I ask you whether you thought he was humiliated? Watching Jeff Figer go against Jenny Jones was watching a heavyweight match, a Saturday night fight, two heavyweights slugging it out, Jeff Figer and Jenny Jones. That ring belongs to Jeff Figer. By the way, you're also aware, well in advance of this show, that other people had warned you that you are exploiting sick people for entered for the purient entertainment of others you were aware of that weren't you when yes or no i'm not sure when you're talking before about. the murder all talk shows were under fire during that time we, no. we were all getting attacked with regard to that criticism you're aware was leveled at you and your show even though you were aware of that criticism your response was simply to deny it isn't it i'm not sure what you're talking about i'm sorry okay. I understand the impulse to want to blame the show or show some responsibility to the show, but I, I just, I resist that. I will say that I think underlying this act was homophobia, not the Jenny Jones show. I think clearly, clearly, beyond question, the representatives of this corporate defendant appear to be blind or deaf or ignorant are absolutely abusive of human emotion. They fought tooth and nail, and they could not admit that they bore some responsibility. Why? In my mind, the almighty dollar, which is the all I could sue for, was more important to them than Scott Amador's life or Jonathan Schmitz's life or anybody else's life. And, and that was the ultimate reality. You lie to people, you deceive people, you humiliate them, you embarrass them, you turn them loose. You've been warned about it repeatedly, and you say, I couldn't possibly have seen that this was coming. Don't, don't treat us like that, please. Don't treat us like we're fools. Don't treat us like we don't have common sense. Don't treat us like we're beneath you. This kind of opportunity comes around but once, and perhaps never again. You have an opportunity to render real justice, to make a difference, to move the monolith just a little, and to say, Warner Brothers, on this time and in this place, you were wrong. You hurt somebody. You hurt many people. And under the law of this state, we have now decided to meet out justice. The jury decided that Jenny Jones and Warner Brothers had blood on their hands. The verdict, unanimous, within three hours of closing, $25 million. What Mosley and many others hear from all this is the sound of a loud wake-up call, but they wonder if we're too deeply mired in the sleaze to hear it. Of course, they appealed because it's the money, it's not the, the righteousness. So that was reversed on appeal, but not because we were wrong. Not because we didn't prove our point. Money is more important than justice. I only ask that when you begin your deliberations, that you not forget the last thing that Scott Amateur would hear. On September 15th, 1998, the Michigan Court of Appeals overturned the second-degree murder conviction of Jonathan Schmitz. 
The court ruled that Schmitz was entitled to a brand new trial because his attorneys had been denied their right to strike one of the jurors. And so Jonathan went back on trial, this time hoping for a better result. Meanwhile, the civil case against Warner Brothers had just wrapped up about three months earlier. Court of Appeals reversed and remanded for a new trial, which meant that could, he could only be tried now on second degree to start with. So now is the perfect opportunity to make the case for at least manslaughter, fight for manslaughter. But as a prosecutor, it's a, it's a difficult dilemma because you realize that the best you can do is what the last prosecutor did, is what you're expected to do. And if they do the same thing this time, it's gonna go on to manslaughter. As you're gonna learn during the course of this trial, this was anything but play. It was real, it was permanent, it was cold-blooded, it was calculated. Plain and simple, it was an execution. That's why you're here today. You're here because the evidence will prove that on March 9th of 1995, Scott Amador was murdered because he had the misfortune of angering the wrong man, Jonathan Schmitz, a man with a gun, a man with a grudge, a man who would think nothing of firing that gun twice into the chest of another human being at close range. Jonathan Schmitz, a man who would plan his crime, execute his crime, and execute a human being in the process. There is no question that this is second-degree murder. Ladies and gentlemen of the jury, at the end of the trial, I will ask you for justice. The facts and circumstances are going to show you that this killing was as a result of provocation, provocation that was created by Scott Amater. Provocation that caused a reasonable man just to lose it. I mean, the facts are going to show you that in this case, he lost it. He acted on impulse without a time to cool down. You're going to find that Jonathan Schmitz is not a murderer. I don't know how you can say that a person is responsible for their own murder because they liked somebody and they called a show and they wanted to express a, you know, attraction to a person. The first trial, it was a three-ring circus, took forever. The second trial took only six days. At the very end of the trial, Donna Pendergrass, in her closing arguments, had to remind people that every time we're looking elsewhere, we're forgetting about Scott. We're forgetting about this young man whose life was snuffed out. The victim becomes lost in all the machinations and hoopla that make up a trial. But I ask you, ladies and gentlemen of the jury, don't let this victim get lost. Scott Amador is in this courtroom without a choice. You can see the defendant. He's real to you. He's human to you. There is so much that you don't know about Scott Amador. You don't know what his future hopes were, nor his past regrets. You don't know anything about him, except for he was gay and how he died. But he was real and he was alive. And he was only 32 years old when he was brutally murdered. And somewhere in a cold cemetery, his body lies in the ground for eternity because of the actions of that man. But I only ask that when you begin your deliberations, that you not forget 
the last thing that Scott Amateur would hear. I ask you for justice. I racked the shotgun twice, and it just echoed throughout the courtroom, and I sat down. That was the last thing that the jury heard. I felt fairly confident as the jury was deliberating um, that I had made the points that I needed to make, um, that this was cold-blooded, not heat of passion. Um, but of course, you never know with the jury. Would the jury foreperson please stand? Have you reached a verdict? Yes, we have, ma'am. Would you please read the verdict from the verdict form? <clears throat> Second degree murder, guilty. Felony firearm, guilty. Jury came back and said guilty of second degree murder, and I felt like the weight of the world was off my shoulders. I have always felt that there was more sympathy for, for Jonathan than there should have been. In my opinion, there's never been a clear-cut case of first-degree premeditated murder. It was only, you know, the circumstances under which it occurred that garnered him that type of sympathy. I'm sorry about what happened to him, but I have no sympathy for the actions that he took. The evidence at trial showed you set upon a plan of purchasing a weapon, ammunition, and that that victim was shot at close range twice. The sentence of this court will rob you of your youth, but it will not rob you of your life. It is the sentence of the court on the murder, second degree, 25 to 50 years, on the felony firearm, two years. Those sentences are to be served consecutive. I don't think Jenny Jones started out to ruin anybody's life or to get anybody killed or anything like that. But she was promoting the type of show by doing what she felt she had to do to get the ratings. In my opinion, she wasn't doing it to be mean, she was doing it to make money. Schmidt spent 25 years in prison. By the way, he's walking around these streets right now as we talk. But uh, he should have been uh, convicted of first degree murder, but as a result of that show, they didn't keep it up for a long time, but they instituted protections against this. They had counseling prior to and after the show, try to defuse the situation. So that was, a, a, for a short period of time, a good result of, of the verdict. No one won in this case. Scott is no longer with us. I don't think the Schmitz family is ever gonna heal from this. So it was justice served. I'm glad that there was accountability but I don't really think justice was served. Our system of justice is dependent on, you know, people getting second chances and being able to rehabilitate themselves because um, of the paramount value that our society puts on life. Um, a homicide is a little bit different. You can rehabilitate Jonathan, but you can't bring Scott back. Jonathan Schmitz was released from prison in August of 2017. It was last reported that he lives with his parents in his hometown of Lapeer, Michigan, 60 miles north of Detroit. The Jenny Jones Show was canceled in 2003. Today, Jones is focused on a philanthropy program called Jenny's Heroes. According to her website, she has no plans to return to television. I'm Ashley Banfield. Thanks for watching. There you have it, another compelling case straight from the Court TV archives. If you want to see the Jenny Jones trial in full and for free,
You can stream it for free on our website. Just check the show notes for a link. And to keep up with the biggest current true crime stories, be sure to tune into my show, Closing Arguments, weeknights at 8 p.m. Eastern. Thank you so much for downloading. And as always, please don't forget to hug the kids. This podcast is a production of Court TV. Go to CourtTV.com for more content, trials on demand, and to find out how to watch Court TV in your area.